You are listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. We want everyone everywhere to have an everyday relationship with Jesus. And we hope that this helps you do just that. Well, howdy, howdy, New Spring family all over the state. Good morning. How are you? Church, you doing okay? Yeah, good morning. It's good to see everybody. I just want to welcome you and uh, say I hope you're having a fantastic Sunday. Welcome to June. Last weekend it was like 50 degrees. This weekend it's like 90 degrees and it's officially summertime and we're pumped up about you being here. Uh, I want to say good morning to all of our campuses, but specifically I wanted to celebrate that today is an eight-year anniversary for our Aiken campus. Happy birthday, Aiken. Uh, We want to throw out a shout out for you guys and it uh, gives us a chance to bring up our 2030 vision, which we want to put all of our campuses in permanent facilities. And you know this, if you're a new Springer, last year we were able to get out of all of our debt as a church, which uh, used to be $45 million, and now it's zero, praise God. And, uh, and Aiken is actually the campus that right now we're working on getting them in a permanent facility. So Aiken, I hope you guys are having a fantastic day. Matt Stillman and Nikki and the team down there. And uh, we are so excited about what God is doing all over the state. It is summertime, and so we've got lots of people traveling the state for vacation or going to the lake or headed to the beach. So if you're down on one of the beach campuses and you're from up up in the upstate, I hope you can uh, enjoy the Myrtle Beach or Charleston or down in Hilton Head campuses while you're down there vacationing. I know today here at the uh, Anderson campus, I just said hello to some folks from the Greenwood campus who are up in the upstate celebrating a birthday. So, man, it's so cool to be a part of a church that's got campuses all over the state, or you can tune in and you can also watch online. So I'm glad that you're here. We're in a study of Ephesians. If you want to open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. And while you're opening your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, this is our third week. And did Dan Leanne not do a fantastic job last week preaching a fantastic message? Uh, I don't just say that because he's one of our teaching team members and a a pastor here at New Spring. He's one of my very good friends. And I'm telling you, you can go high and low, and not hear a better message preached on Ephesians chapter 2 than what Dan preached last week. Deadsville, USA, y'all, that's where we're all from, but we're all invited through the grace of Jesus Christ into the family of God. You got to go back and watch it if you didn't get a chance, but I'm going to pick up where he left off on the backside of Ephesians chapter 2 in just a bit. We'll pick it up in verse 11, and we'll go through the end of the chapter today. That's where we will teach. Uh, Do you remember your very first time to New Spring Church? Maybe some of you it was today. I said hello to a couple of folks who were coming in this morning. Today is their very first Sunday in New Spring Church. But my very first Sunday in New Spring Church, I came in, you ready for this? As a big New Spring skeptic. Anybody else their first time they'd say they were a skeptic? This is me. I was critiquing it all. As a matter of fact, uh, it was back in like 2004 and I came to church. Um, I had friends that had invited me Lots and lots of people had invited me, and I knew better than to come to New Spring. I grew up in a, in a good church, and I had, I had better raising than to come to New Spring. I'm just being honest, okay? I'm just telling you. I wasn't quite a New Spring hater, but I might have been one degree off. And let me tell you how I got here. Uh, at the time, I was, um, I'd moved actually to Clemson, and I was working for a parachurch ministry, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Now, again, all cards on the table. You ready for this? I am a white guy. Been a white guy my whole life. Had no decision, uh, no no choice in the matter, just the way God made me. And uh, so, listen, here's, I'm just going to get to where we're going. And when I started ministering 
as an FCA chaplain, I was ministering to a lot of guys that weren't white guys. They weren't like me. And I was trying to help them take a journey with Jesus. I wanted them to know the Lord. I wanted them to, to know the Bible. And that was my job. I was working with athletes at Clemson University. And the first four dudes that were really open to me and leaning into me that were my friends were not white guys. But you know what? I took them to a church that was very much like what I was comfortable with. And for the very first time, I felt something because I was walking to church in their shoes. It was a real gift. I look back on it now, and it was a grace. Now, the church we went to didn't say anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. But I just felt, y'all, I felt what my friends felt as I was hyper aware of the way everybody approached them, the way everybody addressed them. And I had a time with the Holy Spirit after the fact where I felt like, okay, I need to be the one who is willing to be uncomfortable in order for my friends to feel comfortable as they go to church. And so I sat down with them because we had that kind of a relationship. These guys, are several of them are still some of my very best friends today. And I just was like, hey, I want to be honest. I want to go to church where you guys want to go to church, where you feel comfortable going. Where, where, where do you want to go to church? And you know what they said? They said New Spring Church. And so this New Spring skeptic showed up here the very next Sunday because that was where my friends that weren't looking like me wanted to go to church. And I had to swallow my skepticism for a bit and come to church here. And, and can I tell you something? They loved it and so did I. It was incredible. And so one of the things that this church has always been known for, for me, it's how I got here, was a place where it doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like, old or young, dressed up or dressed down, wearing jeans or wearing a coat and a tie, it doesn't matter who you are, you are always welcome to come to New Spring Church. That's part of our DNA. Anybody else ever felt that? You're welcome to come to New Spring Church. It's part of who we are. So that's the way I got introduced to this place. Now, why does that have to do with today in Ephesians? I want to show you in the scriptures today from Ephesians chapter 2 why that's such a big deal. And I also think that for many of us, we recognize that in the earth today, in culture today, a lot of words around this kind of stuff are brought up. But I want you to know, long before America existed and long before political things existed in America, that the scriptures and the church subverted all of that. And I want to invite us to see how we might do the same. And at the end of this service, what you're going to see is when we do this right it is one of the most beautiful and powerful things that the world stands back and looks at the church and goes, oh my goodness, whatever's happening there is beyond what's happening in the earth. I want to know more, and it actually proves, listen to me, it proves that Jesus is who he says he is, and it proves that the church really is for everyone everywhere. If you're okay with that today and you're ready for it, say, I'm ready. All right, so here is the, I don't have any points, any points today. I just have this one statement about the book of Ephesians that I want to remind us of. Up front, remember the book of Ephesians, here it is, is going to call us to sit and receive an unshakable identity. And then and only then are we going to be able to now walk in unity. And then by the end of the book, we're going to actually stand in victory. These three major movements is what the six chapters of Ephesians is all about. 
And we've talked about it for two weeks, and so today we're going to really get to that walk in unity piece. But I've got to be honest, we cannot, listen to me, we cannot walk in unity until we sit and we're reminded of who we are in Christ. The kingdom of God is namely not something we work to achieve, but it's kind of crazy. We actually have to sit and receive all that Jesus Christ has done for us because we're not good enough to do it ourselves. Amen? The kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace. Is there a saint in the room today that is happy about the grace of God, more grace than we have sin? Any, any saints in the room who are happy about the love of God? It's the love of God that moves us into repentance. It's not the, it's not the, the beating down of God. It's not the, it's, it's, it's not the power of God. No, no, no. It's the loving kindness of Jesus to cause us to sit and receive an unshakable identity. And now we're going to talk about walking in unity. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And you'll hear Paul get into this walking in unity piece. Here's what he says. Therefore, therefore is since you've received an unshakable identity in Christ. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time, you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Separated, alienated, and strangers. Having no hope, and you were without God in the world. That was all of us when we were in Deadsville, USA. That's where we were all from. But now, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. Everybody say one. One new man in place of the two. So making peace, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and he preached peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being our cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together. Everybody say together. Into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we have read your word and now we ask and invite that your word would read us. Would you encourage us? Would you tell us exactly where we're doing this right? Cheer us on by your Spirit. Slap us on the back and tell us, keep going. And Lord, would you disturb us and correct us in places that we need to be disturbed and corrected so that your church would look like what you want it to look like would be active in unity like you want us to be active in. Help us to 
Get through all the noise in culture and subvert it in a kingdom way. And would you woo us, love us into anything that needs to change in our hearts and our minds as the people of God so that ultimately you get the glory, we get the joy, and the world gets the good. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody says together, amen, amen. Hey, I gotta ask a question. What is your image of Jesus? When you think about Jesus, what do you picture? Because one of the things that I, I can tell you about having an everyday relationship with God is that as you read the scriptures and you see Jesus, one of the things that I find from time to time is the picture in my head of what I thought Jesus was like versus the way I see Jesus operating here, they're not the same. It's actually one of the proofs that we're actually following the God of the Bible because the Jesus in here has the ability to tell me so often, and I don't know if this is anybody else, no. The Jesus in here has the ability to so often to say, that's not how you speak to your spouse. The Jesus in here has the ability by the Holy Spirit in his word to tell me, no, that's not, that's not how we think about sexuality. No, that's not how we handle our money. No, that's not how we treat our neighbor. No, that's not how we treat our enemy. The Jesus in here so often doesn't necessarily all the time, he doesn't mirror the Jesus in my head because the Jesus in my head is influenced by culture. Uh, Greenville, South Carolina made the news a couple of years ago because there was a t-shirt company that had a, a really kind of funny, if you will, picture of Jesus. It's known as, you can find it, it's right on Main Street, it's a picture of Jesus and he's taking a jump shot, like the NBA Finals, and it's called Jump Shot Jesus. And this t-shirt went around the world. You can order them online if you think that's not that's you know the way Jesus needs to be represented or whatever. And so now they have Jesus playing all kinds of sports. There's jump shot Jesus, there's football Jesus, and it's these pictures of Jesus. Some of us have a picture of Jesus, perhaps. It's like he's a sandal-wearing, long-haired hippie, right? Who walks around and he's just patting everybody on the back, telling them he loves them, and uh, telling them, keep going or good job, or, or maybe he's he's a hugger. Anybody think Jesus is a hugger? Uh, I'm a hugger. Where are my huggers at? Where are the huggers at? Don't care about germs when it comes to hugs. I'm an extrovert maximal. I'll give you the church hug on the side. I'll give you the full dap bro hug. We can do that too. Um, I, I'm a hugger. If you're a hugger and you're a complete stranger and we see each other in public, just let me know. I'll come in for a hug, okay? No problem about it. Some of us think Jesus is a hugger. Maybe he is. But what I want to do is I want to recognize today that many times we've got to see that what we have done is we have projected ourselves and our comforts and our likeness onto God, and we are actually not worshiping a biblical Jesus. This is a danger in church, but we're worshiping a projection of all of our personality likes and, and dislikes and saying that's what God is like. One of the things that I want to invite us to do is to let the biblical Jesus be Jesus. And when you know he is doing that because he'll tell you no, he'll tell you go, he'll tell you keep it up, or he'll tell you to stop and you say, yes, Lord, yes, sir, I trust you. And today, I want to show you one of the things and moments where Jesus shows up and he does something that I think can fly in the face of a lot of our cultural projections of what we think Jesus is like. And it's actually around this passage of Scripture. It's around the passage of Scripture in the temple. And so I've got to show you a picture of the temple because Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 2. So let me show you a picture of the temple. And guys, guess what they gave me today? They gave me a laser pointer. Is that not incredible right there? 
Now, it's kind of cool. The laser pointer was invented in South Carolina. Did y'all know that? Shout out, Furman University, Nobel Peace Prize. Or not peace, but Nobel Prize. Maybe a brought peace, who knows? Okay, the laser, it was made right here in South Carolina. This is the temple of Jesus' day. So over here is this is where King Herod hung out, and this is the Holy of Holies here, and this whole thing right here is the court of the temple, the whole temple court. Out here in the bigger section where you can't really see it because my green light doesn't show up quite as well, this is the court of the Gentiles. So this is where people who weren't Jewish would come to worship Jesus. And then inside of here, this is where if you were Jewish, you got to enter into these courts, and these were the dividing walls. And so certain people could go certain distances, and then ultimately only one person right here could go into the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest once a year to take the sacrifice, to sacrifice it, and to atone for the sins of the people. But this whole place was designed for the worship of God. And Jesus showed up here a lot, and he did some very important things there. But one of the things that he does right at the beginning of his ministry, right after he does his first miracle in John chapter 2, is he shows up at the Passover there in the temple, and we're going to read about it in John chapter 2. Look what Jesus does. It might fly in the face of what we think Jesus is like. John chapter 2, verse 13. It said that the Passover of the Jews was at hand, And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, right here where we are, in the temple, and he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making, look at this, making a whip of cords. Everybody say whip. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers He turned over the tables and he he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. That's a quote, by the way. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. All right, so can you visualize this? Jesus shows up and he starts making a whip. Like he didn't come in with the whip, And this isn't Indiana Jones. He's over here sitting in the corner and he is watching the temple and he's seeing some things done there and he doesn't like what he sees. And he starts just making a whip. Now, I don't know what he was making a whip out of. I don't know if we came with some supplies or he's borrowing some leather straps, but the Jesus of the scriptures made a whip and then he didn't just make a whip, he used the whip. I mean, can you imagine if, Jesus showed up at church today at one of our campuses and at some point during the worship that he was so upset by our actions that he shows up to the communion tables and he just just flips it up in the air. What if I flipped that too much? And somebody would step back and go, oh my gosh, that man has lost his mind. What is he doing? He's causing, he's causing a fiasco. He's causing a fuss. Let me make a point here. Jesus was not throwing a temper tantrum. Jesus was perfect and sinless. And we know that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit and one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. I have to remind myself and my children of this often. And so this is Jesus actually deliberately and purposefully making a point about the temple, about the worship of God that was expected there in the temple And his point specifically, listen to me, it's so important to us. If you are not Jewish, he was making a point 
that the Gentiles, those not born of the family and lineage of Abraham and David, were invited to worship, that his heart was for everyone everywhere to be able to to come here to the temple and to worship. That this entire court here was designed for the worship of, of Yahweh. And it wasn't just for a certain kind of person. It was for everyone everywhere. And so the problem wasn't that they were selling oxen or selling sacrifices or changing money. Those were all needs that people had that were traveling for the Passover. The problem was they were doing it in the location that was intended for others to be able to worship. Instead of doing that here, they should have maybe done it like out here in the marketplace. But they were doing it up here in worship. And Jesus, listen to me, church, he makes a point about this at the very beginning of his ministry in John. In the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they actually write about him doing it a second time, not at the beginning of his ministry, but doing it after the, uh, the Palm Sunday where he's coming into the city right before he's gonna die on the cross. And they record Jesus coming back and doing this exact same thing again. So here's what I need you to know about Jesus. This is a rabbi teaching us what is to be expected when it comes to worship of God and that he has a heart, a radical zeal and passion to actually see everyone everywhere have access to the presence of God. Now, he's quoting some things specifically from the book of Isaiah when he talks about that my, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. My, my father's house is not supposed to be a den for robbers. He's quoting Isaiah 56. So what I believe is happening is he's literally sitting over here in the corner of the temple watching the worship occur and he is quoting the Bible and being reminded of what it's supposed to look like and then he's setting for us an example of what worship should look like. And he quotes Isaiah 56. So we told you this is going to be a study of the book of Ephesians. In order to understand Ephesians better, we need to understand it from Isaiah 56. Let's look at the lens of the first eight verses of Isaiah 56, okay? Look what it says in Isaiah. It says this, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. I believe Jesus has got this in his mind and his heart. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man, that's what Jesus referred to himself as, by the way, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, keeps his hands from doing any evil. Watch this right here. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, don't let him say this, the Lord will surely separate us from his people. Don't let him say that. And let not the eunuch the eunuchs say, behold, I'm a dry tree, for thus says the Lord. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than what? Better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners, the Gentiles, who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. Look at verse 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain. That's literally where the temple is. I'm going to bring them to the city of Zion, to Mount Moriah, and make them, a, make them joyful in my house of prayer. That's what Jesus was quoting. 
my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Say all peoples. All peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. All right. So Jesus is making a point. What is his point? His point is that I am the God who wants everyone everywhere. I don't want separation. I don't want a dividing wall. I don't want hostility. And so this is such a practical application because in our world today, we have so much opportunity where there is division, where there is hostility, where there is fracture, where there is divorce, where there's what all of these divisive things for the people of God to be a united people because of the blood of Christ. And the church, one of the things that we've got to reckon with in the church is that we have an opportunity because of our peace with God through Christ to walk in unity with one another. That as a matter of fact, my horizontal unity with brothers and sisters in the church is, is actually sourced by my peace with God vertically. That this is where the priority is and my, listen, my division in the earth with brothers and sisters out here actually speaks to my lack of unity with God right here. At the same time, there's a direct correlation. If I understand the gospel of Jesus, that he has made me a sinner, broken from my sin. He has made me right with God and that that peace has hit my heart that I'm not just gonna let that peace remain here, but I'm gonna offer it out here. And that because of the forgiveness of God, I am going to be unbelievably, radically forgiving of folks out here. It's an unbelievable mark of Christianity that you can't find in any other religion. Forgiveness that is divine. Forgiveness that doesn't make sense. That the reason I can walk in peace with people is because I have peace with God because of Jesus Christ's cross being effective. Now, this is super important because we say today, but I just don't know, Pastor, if that can happen. This is, this is romanticized ideology. This isn't going to occur. Well, how many of you guys, you, uh, you understand what a, a vinaigrette salad dressing looks like in your refrigerator right now? You go home, you drink a vinaigrette salad dressing on your salad, you got oil and vinegar. And what do they do if you just leave them in the fridge? They separate, right? So what do you do before you put it on the, the salad? What you got to do? Everybody's doing it? Shake it up, shake it up, shake it up. Then you pour it on it. But it just takes a, a second, right? And, and it's back to normal if you just leave it out. The, the world's solution for unity and diversity is to just shake it up. Just force it. Just make it happen. Use your strength to have. This is not the Bible and this is not the church. The church actually understands that things are going to be separated in life unless there is a catalytic third ingredient. Oil and water just won't stay together unless there is a catalytic third ingredient. Do you know what the catalytic third ingredient is to oil and water, anybody? The catalytic third ingredient to oil and water that makes it stay together is egg whites. It's called an emulsifier. And if you love mayonnaise or ranch dressing or blue cheese or I don't know how what you use it on, but if you love mayonnaise, you need to know that all mayonnaise is is oil and water both united to egg whites and then all of a sudden they stay together. 
You say, well, what in the world does mayonnaise have to do with Ephesians chapter 2 and all these things we read? Here's what I want you to know. Jesus Christ is the radical third ingredient that can bring everyone everywhere together. That before we have diversity really in the earth, we have to have a unity with Christ. That Jesus and what he has done for us and the way he has united us to one another and to God is the way that we show up on a Sunday morning and you look around the room, and I want to give you a chance to do this from front to back, look high and low, look around your room. Go ahead, put your head on a swivel. All right, look around, look around, look around. Look around the room. Hey, up there in the balcony, it's good to see you guys. Hey, good to see y'all up there watching online at the beach house, wherever you are. Hey, everybody. You look around the room. How in the world does all of these people come together and get along? The only way it's possible is because of Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way that folks in this world who are radically different can be brought together. And this is what Paul is saying is the power of the gospel. But we've got to see that what we're dealing with when it comes to our unity with God is actually going to be an outworking in diversity with others. There's going to be a church full of people that don't look like me, don't act like me, because it's going to actually point people to heaven one day. Now, we've talked about movies in every single week of this series. How many of you guys love a summer blockbuster? Summer blockbuster, you love it. Anybody go see Spider-Man this week? It came out. Anybody looking forward to Transformers coming out this week? Okay, all right. My son is a Transformer crazy man right now. He just uh, actually, tomorrow is his birthday, and he's transforming from three to four, okay, tomorrow. Optimus Prime, it's his favorite, all right? Um, when you go to the movies, what do you see? If you get there right on time, they say the movie starts at three o'clock, it's a matinee. Um, what do you see for the first 20 so minutes of that movie? Yeah, previews of what? Upcoming attractions, right? And in the preview section, this is why you never actually get there at three o'clock, okay? You get there at like 3.20 and you skip all the previews. But if you get there at three o'clock for a three o'clock start, uh, you see all the, the love scenes, and you see all the chase scenes, and you see all the fight scenes of the upcoming attraction, right? How many of you hate when you see all the love scenes, chase scenes, and fight scenes of the upcoming attraction? It talks you in, it sells you, it markets to you, and you come back and you see the movie, and they've actually shown you all the good parts in the previews, but the movie itself was just average. Anybody seen that movie before? Yeah, me too. Um, but what's so cool is when you see the love scenes, the chase scenes, and the fight scenes of the upcoming movie, and you go see it, and the movie's way better. Can I tell you something, church? Do you know what we are meant to be? We as the church are meant to be the upcoming attraction of what is coming in eternity. And then when people show up on a Sunday morning and they see us worshiping together, and they're new, and they're looking around, and they're asking, what in the world brings all these people that are so different together? What in the world has old people and young people, black people and white people, uh, deep people from the South, not born South Carolinians and people that weren't here but got here as soon as they could. All the people together. What in the world brings all these people together? And they're going to see a upcoming preview of the things to come. The Bible says in Revelation 5.9, Revelation 7.9, that one day we'll be in eternity together, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, but we'll all be there worshiping in white because we're all forgiven. We're all clothed in that beautiful, unshakable, grace-filled identity. But one of the things, listen to me, don't let, listen, listen, look at me in the eyes. Don't let politics right now keep you from leaning into what I'm saying. 
one of the markers for the people of God is that we take unity seriously in the church. One of the markers of the people of God is that we don't let division with brothers and sisters be a thing for us. That it might be awkward and it might be tough to work through, but we are willing to forgive. We're willing to be tough to offend. We're willing to pursue unity in the church with other believers because we understand that in so doing, we actually are putting on display in the world the upcoming attraction of heaven. It makes what we do here so important. It's actually one of the reasons that I want to tell all of you folks that are sitting in campuses today, well done. And I want to challenge anybody who's just settling for sitting at the house watching on the television or the TV or or the laptop or the phone. Come out as many times as you can and be a part of a gathering of believers because what we're doing on a Sunday morning matters as a testimony to God. It's actually the last thing Jesus prayed for before he went to the cross. Let's read it in John 17. John 17, this is known as the high priestly prayer. It's the prayer Jesus prayed the night he was arrested. He prays these words. Let's look at them. John 17. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but I also for those who will believe in me through their word. Look what he's praying. That they may all be what, New Spring? That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see the connection? Our unity is a proof to the world that there is a Jesus. That you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That it's actually our glory to be unified, yet beautifully multi-complected. That you have given me this glory, and I have given it to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Do you see his emphasis? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is about the world knowing Jesus is real and that God is real and that one of the ways we prove all of that is we work through any kind of offense, any kind of division, any kind of anything in our hearts where there is anything in the temple of God set up that is in opposition to other people coming to worship. So very practically speaking, this could look like a lot of different things. One of the things that I want to invite us to do today as we, as we consider this is to allow us to recognize that that temple in Israel, this one right here, this one right here, uh, it's not there anymore. You know, from time to time, people talk about, are they going to build another temple? Are they going to build another temple? Are they going to build another temple? And the answer is, who knows? And can I say something really, really in love? It doesn't matter because he has built another temple. You know who that temple is, right? If you're a part of the temple that he's built, would you raise your hand on all of our campuses? You know it. The Bible says that we are the temple, that we are the living stones that, that there's not necessarily going to be a third temple that looks like this because the third temple, it couldn't hold all the worshipers that Jesus intended to come and worship. That the world needed to be that third temple. That Jesus Christ himself was going to be the cornerstone and that you and I connected to Jesus and to one another. We're going to be filled with the Spirit of God 
And that when people come and they see us operating in our communities, as we love our neighbors, as, as we operate in our schools, as we gather on a Sunday, that as they experience the unity we've got in Christ and the wild, multi-complectic diversity that we've got in the church, that they would go, Jesus must be real. God must love me. Look at what he's done. He's made a way. So first of all, I want to just tell you that if there is anything between you and Jesus today, would you let the Spirit of God come in and turn that over and drive that out and say, listen, don't let anything get in the way of, of my love for you. I have moved heaven and earth. Jesus Christ died on the cross to tear the curtain so that the presence of God would be all over the world and we all might experience it. Understand he loves you that much. He moved everything. Radical, inclusive love. Listen, but at the same time, he was decisively exclusive in the way to enter into the love of God. You have to come by the love and sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so radically inclusive intention with decisive exclusivity, this is Beautiful, rich theology, I know. But I want you to see it has practical application for the church today. And that our unity, we cannot settle for a divisive church. We cannot settle for broken relationships inside of the church. We have to love one another and forgive one another. And we have to extend uh, that kind of love and forgiveness. I just want to say, maybe there's somebody here today that's a part of this church that you need to say, hey, I just want you to know I'm sorry. Maybe you're married to them. Maybe they're your kids. Maybe it's somebody from another campus. You know, one of the things about being a multi-site church is there's a lot of people that when they have a fight, they end up, you know, having a little ruffled feathers. They end up going to different campuses, and we get, to, we get to try to pastor through that. Maybe there's somebody that you used to go to church with, but they moved to another campus, or you did because of a relational break, a rift, a business deal, a marriage, whatever. Maybe you just need to just say, I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe you, need to, you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to give forgiveness. Maybe, maybe just maybe you've had a mindset towards people, young, old, Maybe it's a racial thing. Maybe it's a socioeconomic thing. Maybe it's a kind of dress code or, man, that guy's got this tattoos or he doesn't dress. Whatever it is, the church should be beautifully one yet beautifully diverse, and that is a testimony to the world. If you will receive that today at New Spring Church, would you say amen? Amen. Can I invite you to your feet on all of our campuses as we step into response time? Church, I want you to know I love you and we love you. And I wanted to have this conversation today because, listen, the world is going to get noisy over the next couple of months and the next year because you know what? It's always coming up on a new political cycle. This is probably the quietest it's going to be, honestly, over the next four years, if you can imagine that. But I just want to encourage you that as the world goes crazy and goes loud, that your everyday relationship with Jesus would drive you for more unity and peace with God and peace with others. What if over the next four years and whatever happens in the world, that the church was just beautiful and shining bright as a testimony to the earth that Jesus Christ is the way for people to live in unity together? What if that was the case? What if we looked that way? What if we changed the complexion of the way people in South Carolina at least 
operated because of how we fought to gather in unity under Christ every single Sunday. Today, as we come to the table, saints, I want to invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to walk around in your heart because you are the temple now. And maybe he needs to walk around and tell you, keep going, that's the way, keep doing this. But maybe he needs to overturn some things in your heart and say, hey, we got to get this out of here. We got to get that kind of attitude out of here, that, that kind of thought pattern out of here, that kind of unforgiveness out of here. What if you let the Holy Spirit do this in your heart today before you came and received the cup and the bread? What if today you need to come and receive prayer? You need to come and receive the peace of Jesus at the cross What if today you need to extend prayer for someone, just encourage somebody on your campus? I want you to know, before you take a step today, would you take a moment and just allow the Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, to walk around in the temple and overturn and drive out anything that doesn't belong so that we might be a beautiful bride, a beautiful temple, ready to worship God every single day as we enter into our work week. So I'm gonna pray for us. Our ministry teams are gonna come, but I don't want you to necessarily jump out of your seat when I say amen. If you come and receive the elements, maybe go back and just take a moment and ask God to speak to you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for the the picture we have of you, Jesus, coming and removing the things that don't belong in your house. And God, we're your house. And so if there's attitudes in our heart or mindsets or unforgiveness or bitterness or God, would you come now and Lord, would you drive it out? Would you remind us that you are doing a beautiful work and we're supposed to look like the coming attraction of the kingdom that's on the way. And would you make us one, perfectly one, so that the world may know that Jesus, you love us and you died for us and that the world may know that God, you sent your son so that we might be forgiven. We ask this in Christ's name as we move in response now and we say together, amen, amen. Y'all feel free to move. Thanks for listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. Make sure to visit our website at newspring.cc for more content, including videos, articles, and devotionals to help you have an everyday relationship with Jesus. Or plan a visit to one of our campuses across the state of South Carolina.